Moncrief with Energlaze on News Talk. 087 106 is our WhatsApp number. It is indeed time for parenting. Joanna Fortune joins us once again. Afternoon, Joanna. Afternoon, Sean. Uh, here's your first question. My three-year-old is a vivacious and happy little girl. She's unfiltered in the way that only young kids can be and we all love her enormously. However, she's very uncomfortable in her own skin and boy does she like to show it. She undresses herself down to her underpants whenever she feels like it, in creche, in the playground, at funerals. Yes, this happened last week. While I find it adorable, I know it makes lots of people uncomfortable, especially those who don't know her. When is the right time to start the conversation about nudity and stopping her from stripping off? Part of me worries that this will only make her self-conscious way too young. And it's so, it's so funny. I'm smiling because I actually had a little naked ninja myself for a phase of, of mm-hmm. development. So yeah. I'm very aware of this one. But, you know, I don't think they're ever really too young to begin the conversation about body boundaries. And I don't want that to sound like, oh, gosh, you sit down toddlers and you have some big, intricate conversation. Of course, that's not what it is. But you start talking about your body and it's your body and about boundaries and consent. If you start that conversation appropriately in toddlerhood, you simply grow it up and extend it as they grow. So I would say, yes, it is time to start the Body Boundaries chat with her. There's a good book, um, Janine Saunders. Yeah, Janine, I think is the first name. And it's called Body Boundaries, Consent and Respect. And it's a really nice little book to read with her. Mm. And it gives these kinds of choices. It talks about, you know, this is what happened on the playground. What could so-and-so have done instead around the consent piece? And it also talks about boundaries. You can do it with her, though, also in a playful way because you could get the baby doll out have the clothes on baby doll and you could show when you're outside playing or you're at an event or someone's house, the clothes stay on. And when you're home and it's appropriate and in a safe place, you can take your clothes off if that's what you want to do. So I think it's just as important to talk to her about where she can be naked or in her underwear as much as where she can't be. Because if you just get into this don't, don't, can't, can't, there isn't a child out there who doesn't go, or can I? Yes. <laughs> Let's yeah, just absolutely. see about that. Yeah. So be very clear that, you know, we take our clothes off when we're having a shower or a bath. And, you know, when you're in your bedroom or it's just family at home, talk to her about when she can do that. There seems to be something about her comfort and her saying, ah, oh, this is great. I'm, <laughs> yes. I'm relaxed now. <laughs> and it all comes off. And it might be as well that she's just feeling more comfortable in her body when she has no restrictions on her movement. Mm. You know, because clothes... No matter how comfy yeah, they are, yeah. they are a form of restriction, but they're also a, a necessary form of restriction yeah. as well. Yeah. She's three years old, so she's going to be starting, if she hasn't already, she will be going to preschool soon. Mm, and that's yeah, going to be a place be a where thing. this also yeah. needs to come in. So I think she's getting to that age where, yeah, it might have been cute and something you could explain away and manage. Now it's time that she's able to do it. So talk to her, you know, because I hear this parent saying, you know, what about I don't want to make her self-conscious? Of course not. And yet kind of. Because what we're t- you can't say I don't want her to be self-conscious and at the same time I do need her to be conscious of herself in relation to others in general public. Yeah. Because we a, a certain degree of self-consciousness is necessary. You don't want her to feel badly about her body or to feel shame around her body and that's going to come down to the way you do this. Right. So really okay. talking about her wonderful, strong, healthy, comfortable body. Clothes keep us warm or they can even keep us cool depending on what we wear but they also keep us safe. And when we're out with other people, our bodies are private and our clothes help us to keep them private. So it's really about language. And so 
run this through in your own head and I would say talk it out loud with somebody else at home or into your phone and play it back until you get a narrative that feels really positive, um, is getting the message across in as few words as possible and play out with dollies because using a visual aid to narrate this experience is going to be much more effective. But it is, I mean, it is going to be something you address it now proactively because otherwise you will be having a very early into the term meeting <laughs> with everyone. Yes, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, I wonder if she an only child. Uh, the, the, oh, that's interesting. Uh, and, you, and only because like, I, I don't know, it's just my experience, but uh, girls who have siblings who are brothers, it's almost kind of more inculcated into them about those things. Whereas yeah. if, if you have an only child or, or even a girl with sisters who, who you know, doesn't even, won't even notice Yeah, that. that's a curious, yeah, I can see that. I also think, though, there's something about kids this age who are just so curious about their bodies and they mm. get so proud of their bodies and they love kind of strutting around and, they, you know, and it's lovely. It's part of their development. And that's the piece I think the self-consciousness is coming in on. You don't want to take away how delighted with her little self she is. Yeah. And you're just reinforcing you can be. And l- I even let her pick a few things that she would love to wear. Yes. Yeah. Even if that means yeah. a sparkly ball gown going out to preschool one day. If she's <laughs> delighted in it, she's more likely to stay in it. That's for the funeral. Yeah. That's even better. <laughs> yeah. uh, I would like Joanna's advice on dealing with our son. He's 10 and really pushing boundaries. He's cheeky, ignoring us when we speak, refusing to do chores, etc. I know from listening to Joanna that this is somewhat normal behaviour and as parents we have to manage our reaction. However, my husband tends to get personal in his response. He's called our son lazy and he said he's ashamed of him for not behaving like he was raised. I think that's too harsh and I can see my son's face crumble just a little bit and then harden in defiance to his dad. I tried speaking to my husband when he's calmed down and while he feels remorse he doesn't seem to be able to stop himself the next time. How can I better explain this to him that it's damaging their relationship? This is more about the dad than it the son really I think. It really is and you know what it's not that your son's behaviour is totally fine and it's so normal don't worry mm. about it. It's not but actually in this situation for you for you as a family, as a parental unit to affect change in your son's behaviour, it actually has to start with his relationship with his dad. And that is the responsibility of the adult, not the child. So like all of us in our parent-child relationship are going to reach the point of snapping. It happens. We're going yeah, to yeah. say something. We're going to raise our voice. We're going to say our lesson. That's not what I plan to mm. say. And it's going to come out in the height of emotion. But the the point is that you go back to your child when things have calmed, even enough, even if you're not at baseline, but they've calmed enough for you to say, I'm sorry I yelled at you. I'm sorry I said I was ashamed of you. I'm not. Actually, I love you very much. And because I love you, I know that you can do better than this. And I just want the best for you. I'm sorry I spoke to you like that. I shouldn't have. These are all I, 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 I. And at no point you say it's because of what you did. Are you sorry to me? That's not the way rupture and repair works. When you've had a rupture, the repair is the responsibility of the adult because you have to show your son that your relationship with him is way more important than being right or winning a row. And this, he's 10. This is going to be a feature of the dynamic for years to come yet. So I think... When, when it's coming to this, you're lazy. That's just such a concrete label to put on something. It's maybe he's tired. 
Maybe he needs a break. Maybe he needs a snack. Maybe he just doesn't like the chores. Maybe he's a kid who needs a different form of motivation, incentivization. Mm. Get curious about it. But what he isn't is lazy. That's just a label we put on things. Yeah. You And you have to get more curious than that because if you enter into blaming and shaming language, it will not change his behaviour. As you're already seeing, it will entrench those behaviour patterns. I've often said on here, Sean, that, you know, kids take their social, emotional, behavioural cues from the adults around them. So model something you want to see from him. Yeah. Model repair, model let me do it, model doing things without anyone having to point them out. Show these pieces because I, I also... I do think your husband will need to address his own activation, you know, because what's happening here is something is getting triggered yes, in him. Because it sounds like he's defying me and I'm personally. And I won't tolerate that. Be, yeah. yeah, I'll be the boss. And it's a yeah. power dynamic there as well. And it may be as well, you know, an experience of how your husband experienced being parented. Yeah, you know, yeah. that this is not something that's okay. And sometimes, no matter what kind of parents we think we'll be, what pops out of our mouths in the height of emotion is what we lived, you know. And yeah. so, something about understanding what is getting activated within your husband by your son's behavior so that he can actually use this understanding of his own activation to self regulate so that he can co regulate your son. Yeah. Because at the moment, actually, he's getting angry in the face of your son's anger, which is increasing your son's anger because anger will not co-regulate mm. anger. It'll only entrench it. So I also think, you know, by modeling healthier behavior, your husband will be better able to understand the relationship context. How would I like to be responded to? if I was acting like this or when I acted like this, if it's a very personal no association. Yeah. I'd also wonder though, Sean, what does this father and son do for fun? What do they do just to hang out together, spend time together? Mm. I'm wondering if increasing playfulness, connection and positive interaction in the relationship could be a healthy balance with this as well. If that's getting outside for a hike or a bike or a sport or just going to the cinema or whatever it is that your son likes to do, doing it with him and showing him that you're interested in what interests him because he's interesting to you. And I think investing in the connection is the best way to get behavioural correction. Yeah. I always, like when, it's not just this, but like you hear that, you're not behaving in the way you were raised. Like yeah. there's a recipe for children and, and you press certain buttons and they turn out perfect. Uh, and, and also it's this piece about, you know, I taught you better, so do better because otherwise you're saying I'm a bad parent. And it's, mm, you know, yeah, but it's, yeah. it's more about your son is growing up, he's changing, his interest is being pulled towards other influences. You need to stay an influencer in your son's life. And that needs to be a positive one because he's taking all of his cues about how to negotiate the world, how to manage tension and rouse with his peer. He's taking those cues from home. Mm. So give him a healthy template. But, you know, sometimes, you know, Sean, we don't know what's in us to get activated until we become parents. Yeah. And those, our kids will bring that stuff screaming <laughs> out of us. Yeah, it's funny that because it's traditionally it's like something your mother can do to you, but then suddenly a four-year-old can. Absolutely. <laughs> so, you know, be really aware of, oh, would you look at that? I have. I wasn't aware of that. So it's not like I'm saying, and be very aware of this with your husband too, that how you approach it, because sometimes when you're your less than ideal self, somebody criticising you <laughs> is yeah. not exactly what you need. But simply going, oh, you're right. I need to think about this. I need mm. to take a space. And that can come with some 
personal therapy. It could come with therapeutic parenting. It could come with just taking a space to consider why is it I'm reacting rather than responding to my son's behaviour. My 11-year-old has become a bit obsessive with the news. It started off as an interest over the past year or so and even began to chat about wanting to be a journalist or a news reporter. However, recently he's become obsessed with the war in Ukraine, American politics and other stories that are very serious. He's beginning to stress about big world problems that I just don't think an 11-year-old should be worrying about. I don't want to kill his passion, but I need him to take a step back. Yeah, it's tricky. Well, cause we could he... all do with that. I I agree. And actually on that, you know, one of the things, because I was aware I was also getting at some stage, well, it comes in waves, doesn't it really, um, with negative news, I started to proactively follow an account online called uh, the Good News Movement. And it's just, if I'm getting news, I need a little bit of balance of there's some good stuff out there. And actually, I think that's a nice approach for your son to, for not to put him on some social media thing of good news, but you to look up good news stories, quirky little human interest stories from around the world and, you know, print them out or cut them out and bring them to his attention to talk about them in that way and getting a balance. Because I think now he's 11 years old, it's not like we can say keep him away from the news. He's going to be aware of news events, but limit his access and ensure that you're with him listening or reading what's going on so that you can say, gosh, that's a lot. I have a lot of big feelings after watching that. How are you thinking and feeling? And Talk it through with him so he's not percolating on it on his own. Really checking in on his understanding because just because he's hearing a news story doesn't mean he's understood it. And yeah. so he could, you know, correcting some of that misunderstanding in it. But I also think to be a bit playful with this one, you could sit together and make a news bulletin either on you know, your tablet or your phone, you know, recording stories and reporting, design them first, record them, put it together and edit it into a nice little, oh, look, because he is interested in broadcasting and journalism. So you could really playfully explore that with him. But you could also have as part of that, that he's the news reporter or the interviewer, the newsreader, and you're the expert witness that he brings on. That just means you need to do a little bit of research on the topic at hand, okay? Um, But he could interview you and ask all the questions he has and you can then provide the flow of information he's receiving and answer the questions with clarifications and giving him enough but not too much detail. So you could do it through play, which I think is a really nice way to do it because you are stimulating his interest but you're kind of modifying the exposure to content in doing it that way. But do blend in the good news stories and help him to understand that, you know, a lot of news bulletins and newspapers, there will be some of the scary things that happen in the world and there'll be some of the happy, positive things and that actually people need to hear both. So we have to look up both and try to be a counterbalance in Mm. that for him. Also, perhaps a historical... I I know it's a lot, but like every... Not every generation, but probably many generations through the course of even the last 150 years have thought this is the worst time. Yeah. Absolutely. Like, as in world wars, literally. This is the worst time. So, and I really understand his, you know, that feeling that this is the worst time, that we're heading towards something doomsday. Yeah. But we've been, we've done that before, actually. And, you know, things sometimes kind of do work out. Not all the time by a long stretch. But, but looking things at do resolution yeah. stories and recovery stories and in any disaster out there, looking for the stories of the people who helped and the yeah. people who were part of the rescue. I think those are always good narratives to interweave into stories, especially for kids, because it shows them that 
that even when bad things happen, good people are doing good things in yeah. response. And they need to know that because, you know, it can feel like, oh my goodness, the world is just overwhelmingly frightening. And yes, scary things happen, but look at community efforts, look at communities coming together and all of the people doing their best to make it better. I think that's really important in developing an understanding of news. As ever, thanks a million, Joanna Fortune. Thank you. Moncrief, weekdays at 2 p.m. with Anna Glaze on News Talk.